0: This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. According to a new study, many drivers are using driver assistance systems in ways they shouldn't, and the results could be tragic for you. We'll have the details coming up. We don't like tragedy. We're going to try to avoid that, right, Chris? Recent federal legislation has thrown the EV market up in the air. Now the government trade regulators are in talks with their European counterparts to try to resolve the problems it has caused. we'll we'll tell you more on that coming up. A lot of people are tearing their hair out on that one. And there are new developments in the partnership between Honda and Sony on electric vehicles. Pretty interesting stuff. So we'll have more on that to come too. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com/autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com/auto-insurance. hyphen You need that hyphen. Hi, I'm Jack Neerad with me is Chris Teague. He lives at one end of the country, I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry. How to get the most out of your car dollars, just what's going on with cars. Chris, we're, we're getting close to Halloween. Are your kids getting excited about Halloween? Is frost on the pumpkin there?
1: They are getting excited about Halloween. Frost is not on the pumpkin right now. I'm looking out the window at about three or four inches of rain falling during this day. But uh, the leaves are nicely colored and, you know, it's very pretty here right now.
0: Yeah, what a beautiful place to be. And uh, I hope you're having wonderful days and getting some chance to enjoy all that. That's terrific. Uh, What car will you be road testing for us this week?
1: I spent the week in the 2023 Ford Raptor, uh, the Ford F-150 Raptor.
0: Yeah, so not a car, but a a very cool truck, and we'll be talking about that. I was road testing the Lexus GX460 Sport Utility Vehicle. Maybe you're jealous of that, because I think uh, that's a vehicle uh, I have a sense you might like, Chris. Uh, It's a vehicle with many capabilities that I bet many of its buyers never use. (laughs) So we'll discuss that. We have a great interview for, uh, for you. Brittany Grande is a GM field service engineer, and she'll be talking about the shortage of auto technicians and a General Motors program that can uh, help people take advantage of it. If you're in a dead-end job or just don't like what you're doing, uh, being an auto tech is probably a really good idea uh, these days, so we'll chat with her about that. But before we do anything else, we'll be bringing some of the most important auto-related information from around the world. So stay with us, with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. <music> Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Red back with you. News time. Interesting news, I think we have this time around, Chris. I mean almost scary news to me. I mean, there's a study from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety um, that reveals that uh, drivers are using advanced driver assistance systems in ways they shouldn't. <laughs> They're kind of treating them as self-driving systems, and that's just not the way to do it. I mean, what'd you take on that?
1: I think the industry uh, as a whole has a communications problem around some of these features. I, I think, you know, without singling an automaker out, there is a real problem with how these these features are put out and sold to people.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Tesla calls it autopilot. Uh, When I'm thinking about autopilot, I think of, (laughs) you know, something that is going to uh, pilot the car for me. Uh, We see the General Motors ads with Super Cruise and people are clapping their hands and, you know, having a gay old time uh, in the vehicle. You know, happily, I think Nissan and Infiniti don't do that with their pro-pilot assist when they're promoting it. But these are three of the systems that uh, were looked at by um, the IIHS, and they found that 53% of supercruise users, I guess, 42% of autopilot users, and 12% of pro-pilot owners said they were comfortable treating their vehicles as fully self-driving. That is the quote. I mean, that's (laughs) totally antithetical to what they're told about those systems, but the fact that they're doing that and they're out on the road doing that uh, is a, a little bit frightening to me it's it's more than concerning
1: and there are in-vehicle warnings in some of these vehicles that tell you you know hey put your hands on the wheel or hey look you know look ahead don't look down so there should be no confusion there i mean because when you're actually doing this there are some safeguards that kind of keep you in your lane so to speak
0: yeah well one of them I mean both Autopilot and supercruise have lockout features so if you're not doing it the way they suggest you do it the manufacturer suggests you do it then it'll shut down and a lot of uh, 40% of users say that has happened to them <laughs> so 40% of users are using it wrong and then the system shuts down well happily it's shutting down and they are forced to put their hands back on the wheel but You know, this is something that really needs to be looked at. And I know the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is looking at these things because heaven knows we're all for technology and I'd love to see fully autonomous vehicles come to market, but certainly we want them to be safe. I mean, that's the goal.
1: Yeah, you know, Tesla makes all the headlines because of just their background in the media. But this is a problem, like, as you said, with Cadillac Super Cruise and and I assume Ford's Blue Cruise at some point in time. So uh, it's going to take a lot of effort across the board.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, this can be deadly. There are uh, 37 investigations going on regarding 18 deaths in crashes involving Tesla vehicles alone with NHTSA. Yeah.
1: They had some big problems with stopped emergency vehicles and and vehicles being driven into them, you know, crashing on the side of the roads and things. So um, I agree with the investigation, but I think it's not just a Tesla problem.
0: Yeah. Not defending anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely not just a Tesla problem. I mean, it's across the board. And the more of these systems we see, Uh, the more likely this is to uh, exist out there. Well, switching gears a little bit, I mean, we have talked about the uh, fairly recent, I guess it was in the summer that there was federal legislation passed that um, really changed the way tax credits are assessed for uh, electric vehicles. That has left uh, many manufacturers who build their electric vehicles overseas out in the cold, not getting those tax credits. Many of the companies like Volkswagen, for example, in the European Union are up in arms over this. Uh, you know, They have big plans to go EV, and that could be good for the environment. That's you know, They've got a big commitment to that at the same time. They're building most of those vehicles overseas and they feel like they're being left out in the cold here. So they're trying to get uh, the status changed on this. I'm curious, you, you know, do you think this is possible, Chris? I mean, this is legislation. This isn't just regulation. This is a past law.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a, an uphill battle for them. And, you know, some of them, Volkswagen included, are moving manufacturing here to start complying with some of those uh, some of the regulations in the bill. Right. So Kia is going to do that. Uh, with the EV6 eventually, Volkswagen's building the ID four in Chattanooga, but they've been gearing up overseas for years in preparation for this, so I can see how it feels a little uh, like the rug has been pulled out from under them, at least in terms of sales here.
0: Yeah, as you well know, I mean, uh, car companies are, are global. They operate globally. Uh, car, car factories are giant investments, and a lot of times it makes sense to... Uh, coordinate uh, production for various countries in one plant that it happens to be located in a particular country. Uh, So to expect all of these vehicles to be built in the United States, I think, is uh, just not realistic or uh, and kind of negative for the growth of EVs. I mean, we're more likely to see uh, more EVs come into the market if some of them can come from overseas and, and get these federal tax credits.
1: Yeah, you know, we've we've kind of argued about tax credits a lot in the past, but I actually agree with you on this one. I think this is uh, one part of the bill that could have had a little bit more thought. Uh, well, I'm sure they put plenty of thought into it, but they could have had a little bit more input from the industry before they went down this path because I think it does limit, it does it place some limits on growth.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, we'll see what unfolds on this. I mean, uh, we don't want a trade war with the European Union uh, to go with <laughs> all the other economic ills that we're looking at now with high energy prices and, you know, a looming recession and incredible amounts of inflation. Uh, so we'll we'll see what goes on there. Uh, hopefully better days are ahead. Well, better days might be ahead for uh, Sony and Honda. I, I think we've talked about this before a little bit. I think those are Two uh, companies that maybe have lost a little bit of their luster or the luster that they had uh, you know a decade or so ago and i think they're they're searching for that again in a uh, a joint venture to make electric cars and sell them in japan sell them in the united states those are the first two countries where they plan to do that they have now announced that they plan to deliver their first electric vehicles from this joint venture in 2026 that is interesting Uh, A lot of uh, these EVs will have software developed by Sony. We've talked about this, I think we talked about this in the the past show, these software enabled, uh, software defined uh, vehicles. Uh, So there would be recurring revenue from entertainment and other services within the car. (laughs) Again, not something I'm necessarily raising my hand and saying, yeah, that's what I want, but uh, we will see. They will sell these vehicles online as opposed to through a dealership operation. And, uh, well, I wonder about all of this. I mean, uh, comment on any of that you want to comment on, Chris. Uh,
1: Well, I'm an early adopter of everything that I can afford to be an early adopter of. I have, you know, the latest of everything. And I I have big philosophical and maybe other problems with all the injected technology. Like uh, the Sony-Honda thing, there's going to be some metaverse-inspired tech features from Sony in here. don't need that in a car there's absolutely no you know 20 years from now things may look different but right now there's no need for this stuff in a car Um, but from a take a step back perspective it's interesting for for honda because they've already partnered with gm on some electric vehicles and now they're going down this road with with sony on on this vehicle so interesting from them but i think there's some features here that i would i could probably do without
0: (laughs) yeah i think there's a ton of features we could do without and uh one, one of the things, and it was uh, apropos of what we were just talking about, they uh, they plan to have level three autonomous drive si- uh, systems uh, within these vehicles. Well, a level three isn't really autonomous, number one, so <laughs> there's that. Uh, but uh, driver assistance systems that you would pay for. Think if you thought you had it and, and didn't keep up your payment or your credit card got changed or something like that, and you, you suddenly didn't have this Uh, system that you thought you had. I I really uh, scratch my head over this stuff. Uh, I I know that car companies think that there's a ton of money to be made by that captive audience that's in the vehicle, in their vehicle, but those are our vehicles. They're not the company's vehicles. They're not the, the car company's vehicles. Those are uh, vehicles owned by private individuals who think they bought a complete package, I think, as opposed to an ongoing vending machine.
1: Yeah, there may be some calibration that comes after the fact here as the automakers realize that people, you know, want a separation between their car and their phone, right? You know, the, the, you view your cars, at least I do, is a little bit different than my phone. My phone is a little bit more disposable, but my car is more of a permanent fixture in my life. You know, maybe I'm different than a lot of people. But again, we talked about this just last time or the the time before is, you know, you buy a car, you bought the car, you don't want to have to keep paying uh, for things to use the car. I guess I could understand some subscription features in the in the like audio, you know, streaming services and things. But uh, some of this is just out of my (laughs) out of my grasp.
0: Yeah, absolutely out of my grasp, too. And I think uh, a lot of consumers will be reluctant to do this. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing a couple of vehicles, and I maybe have happier news. This seems like kind of a negative news segment, but uh, I think we will ha- have happier news as we're road testing the Ford Raptor and the Lexus GX460. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad with you for Road Test Time, one of our favorite segments, maybe my favorite segment. I I like them all, but this is is certainly a segment I like a lot because, heck, I like driving cars and I like talking about them. Chris, you had a really cool vehicle to talk about this week. I mean... It strikes me perfect for where you are at the time of year you're in. Uh, tell us about it.
1: Yes, so I spent the week in the 2023 Ford Raptor, uh, F-150 Raptor. This is the uh, a different version of the one I drove on the show a couple of months ago. This is the upgraded uh, 37-inch tire package uh, model. It's a few thousand dollars more expensive than the 35-inch tires, which are standard, uh, but I think there are some differences here that are that maybe make it worth the the money for some people. So, Ah, uh, backing up the truck starts around seventy-seven thousand dollars. My test truck came in at eighty-seven grand. Uh, we'll go into some of the reasons behind that when we when we get to them. Uh, but it's got the same twin-turbocharged three-point-five-liter V-six that the the standard Raptor has. Four hundred and fifty horsepower, ten-speed automatic transmission, uh, four-wheel drive. You know the bevy of off-road uh, upgrades, Fox shocks. Uh, you know selectable drive modes. Uh, the exhaust is valved with a selectable uh, sound and everything is active and you can select them. So um, there's a lot going on in that regard, but that also comes with the standard Raptor. So with the 37 inch package, I'm gonna pull out my notes here. Uh, The truck is about an inch taller than the uh, 35 inch tire package truck. Um, It's got an inch more ground clearance as well. And it also has better approach, departure, and breakover angles because of the ground clearance. You can go up steeper surfaces and decline or descend steeper uh, surfaces. Ah, uh, but on top of that, you lose an inch of suspension travel. So you get some and you get you give some back. So, um uh, Jack, have you driven the new Raptor, and what do you think about it? I don't know if you've driven it thirty sevens.
0: I don't I haven't driven it with thirty sevens, I don't think. Um, I don't remember doing that. but, uh... You know, it's just such a cool truck with so many capabilities. And, you know, I love the off-road uh, abilities it has. I mean, the only thing that really stands in its way, in, in my opinion, as an off-roader is its sheer size. Otherwise, I mean, it, it does everything.
1: Yeah, it is a quite a large truck. And as we were discussing before the show, the large, tr- the large tires don't make it any easier to maneuver, especially uh, parking lots, city streets. You know, I live in New England. Everything here is very compact from having been built. 300, 250 years ago. So uh, it can be stressful at times, you know, and and I don't think an $87,000 truck is one that a lot of people can buy and only drive on the weekends. So that's something to consider. But it's also true of the large Chevy, the ZR2. It's also true of the Ram TRX. So this is not a Raptor uh, unique issue or even an issue for some people. So um, the upside here is that the ride is almost glassy smooth. So the larger tires, the the standard truck is already very smooth. It, It kind of glides over most everything. That's what it's designed to do. Uh, But the 37-inch tires soak up that much more of, you know, potholes, road cracks, curbs, anything you really want to get in your way. uh, It's, you know, it's very capable of soaking up all those things. Um, Inside, my truck had a blue leather package, which added a couple thousand dollars to the price tag in addition to the 37-inch tires.
0: You were in blue heaven, Chris. I mean, you love blue interiors. I mean, this this is you. Yeah, blue truck with a blue interior.
1: And I'm wearing a blue shirt, my favorite color. Can't beat it. So... Uh, Gorgeous interior in this truck Uh, you can get a panoramic sunroof and some other luxury features But even without those things, I mean, there's really not a lot that you're left wanting in here So as I mentioned blue Alcantara, navy blue leather works really well with the interior of the truck I think it looks fantastic. Uh, You got a 12-inch digital gauge cluster. It's configurable So you can show different uh, truck information performance uh, metrics and things And then you have a 12-inch touchscreen that runs uh, Ford Sync 4. So we've talked about this in the past that's one of the better infotainment systems uh, it's not as colorful as some but at the, the upside of that is easy to use and it can run two apps at the same time so you can you know fiddle with climate controls while the uh, music is playing or look at a map while you're doing something else and so it works really well on the large screen it's very responsive uh you know some people bemoan screens i just got done talking about how much of a nerd i am so i do like the screens and i do appreciate that it's a simple uh, system to use because i do think some are uh, very complicated, but on the upside here as well. So for me as a family guy, if I were to buy this truck I would want to make sure that it has all the safety features that it that you that you would want and uh, It comes standard with Ford Copilot 360. So it's got blind spot monitoring rear cross-traffic alerts lane. Keep assist forward collision warnings uh, And the whole the whole wazoo there. So Jack, I think we've talked about this before This is probably the third Raptor I've reviewed on the show and I can't think of a better, of the off-roady trucks that I would rather have. I mean, the TRX has more power. The Raptor R is going to have more power later on. But I think this V6 Raptor is kind of the sweet spot for me with, with off-road off trucks, if I had the money to buy one and needed one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly is a good one. I, I have a soft spot for the TRX, too, from uh, Ram, but... Um... It's, it's certainly a terrific vehicle, no doubt about it. I agree. And I was driving a vehicle with a lot of off-road uh, abilities, too, although I'm not certain that they're used very much by a lot of people who buy this vehicle. I'm talking about the Lexus GX460. And I think if you look at, uh, I, it's hard to talk about this vehicle without talking about the Lexus RX, which is the 800-pound gorilla within Lexus, right? It's kind of the franchise. Uh, the Lexus people have uh, more than admitted that. And so if you look at the GX as supposedly a more expensive and maybe bigger brother to the RX, it's just not that. It's a a completely different kind of thing. And it really has a lot more in common with the uh, Toyota 4Runner than it does with anything else in the lexus line and it's it's really in many ways off-road oriented this is a seven passenger three row separate body and frame vehicle that dates way back <laughs> it dates you know back over a decade it has a uh, v8 engine one of the few vehicles that is still out there with a v8 engine a very wonderful v8 engine a powerful and is silky smooth as they say so i i'm wondering you know uh, for the right people this is a terrific vehicle for those who are just you know, picking up kids at soccer practice uh, and running around the suburbs. I'm not sure that the GX is what they think it would be, which is kind of a Zootier Lexus than the RX is. That's kind of the preface going in. I was testing a Blackline Special Edition model. That, of course, has this blackout treatment that uh, (laughs) seemingly is uh, everywhere. I, I just bought a new mouse i dropped the apple mouse and uh broke it and so i had to buy a new one and uh, the new one came in black instead of white so even my mouse has a blackout treatment but uh this has a uh, blackout treatment where a ton of stuff is black black roof spoiler black uh, radio antenna uh black headliner Uh, i could go on and on glossy black 18 inch wheels It even has black wood trim. (laughs) The wood trim is finished in black, so. As I tested it, it was about $68,000. So not an inconsiderable sum for a vehicle this size. Not the most commodious third row either, uh, but it does have that. And then it has a ton of off-road driver aids. It has uh, multi-terrain select, so you can choose from multiple modes. I guess that's a good thing. It has downhill assist control. Uh, which is good. And then it has crawl control, which uh, is essentially cruise control when you're going really slow <laughs> uh, off-road. When you have this, uh, and because it has a two-speed transfer case, that that also kind of separates it from, uh, you know, so many of the crossovers we're seeing. Um this isn't really a crossover in a way. It's a traditional SUV. I'm rambling on about the GX. I know you have opinions about it, and I, I think you probably like it. I'd like to hear your your thoughts.
1: I do like it. And you're right about it not being the sort of typical Lexus, right? So you've got the NX, the RX, and the, uh, you know, that sort of the line. And then you've got the GX and the LX at the top that are the, the I say the top, but they're the, the off road models. I drove a GX from Knoxville, Tennessee to Atlanta and then back and then up into the Smoky Mountains and did some trails. And silky smooth on the highway. As you say, Lexus knows how to make a V8. I'm a big fan. Uh, very capable off-road. It felt just as smooth on the trail as it did on the highway. Uh, comfortable inside. I have problems with the tech, but this was three years ago, so they've probably had some upgrades since then, and uh, the the third row could use some improvement, but, but as a package, I, I like it, but I do agree that it's not the typical Lexus buyer's Lexus.
0: Yeah, I think it's silky smooth on the road as long as the roads are pretty smooth, because it it does have a live rear axle, and so it isn't necessarily as supple as some others. Now, Lexus does some pretty interesting things to try and tame that a little bit, but you have... You know the potential for that live rear axle to to give you some problems, both on road and off road. As a matter of fact, in some cases, though off road, it's an advantage. But uh, back to equipment, it has. I I mentioned the two-speed transfer case, which is a big separator. Um, That's the the mark of a true off-roader, I think. It has a torsen torque torque sensing limited slip center differential, And, and in typical use. It's putting 40% of the power to the front wheels and 60% to the rear. So it kind of has its rear drive feel, which I like. 301 horsepower from the 4.6 liter V8. So that's plenty of horsepower. Nice amount of torque. 329 pound feet of torque. This does offer very good towing, 6,500 pounds of towing. So that's good. You can get it with an adaptive variable suspension or an air suspension. Again, not necessarily as smooth as some vehicles. Uh, There's some strange things about it, too. The side-hinged rear door, as opposed to a hatchback, is an odd one. Why they haven't fixed that? That's something that uh, is not on the uh, 4Runner these days. So just all in all, you know, I think for the right buyer the GX460 is really cool. I like the black line edition. I I don't know how that's going to wear necessarily, but it it sure looks cool right now. Close to 70 grand is an awful lot for a vehicle this size with kind of a a so-so third row. But uh, overall, I think there's a lot to like about the Lexus GX 460.
1: I agree. I think predicted reliability is probably a big advantage over some of its competitors, uh, maybe up the value down the road for long-term ownership. But for the ride buyers, you say it's an excellent vehicle.
0: Yeah. I mean, no doubt th- about the fact that it is rugged uh, and it will last a long time. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and so that's the uh, Lexus GX 460. And when we come back, we will be speaking with the Brittany Grande. She is a GM field service engineer about the shortage of vehicle tax and what GM, what General Motors, is hoping to do about it. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nyred with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America. Road. Jackie Red Redback with you. Thanks so much for being with us. I really do appreciate it, and we have a terrific guest for you. I'm really interested uh, in this interview. Uh, I, a lot of personal uh, interest in this particular interview. Brittany Grandy is uh, a General Motors engineer with an interesting background, I think, and talking about uh, what I think is a big, big topic, and that's the topic of technicians, auto technicians. And Really, the lack thereof, right, Uh, Brittany? uh, Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, the shortage actually nearly doubled from the year 2020 to 21. So we're really looking to bring in technicians. And part of the shortage is due to that negative connotation that a skilled trade can't lead to a rewarding career. But an auto technician is a highly technical role with advancement opportunities and students can complete the necessary training in two years without high student loan debt, and a job at a GM dealer can include great income like benefits, uh, medical insurance, 401k, and paid time off.
0: So you're an example of that, aren't you? And you have an interesting background, and I think you were a nurse, right? I have a daughter who's an RN. And my brother is an auto technician and has been so for about 40 years or so. So uh, my family kind of is is your background. Tell us about that transition and, and how you made this switch.
2: That's right. So um, kind of my first beginnings into the automotive industry, I was going to school for nursing and I drove past a Chevrolet dealership and outside they had the most beautiful car I'd ever seen. I didn't even know what kind of car it was at the time. But it turns out that it was a Corvette ZR1, and it had 638 horsepower, 604 foot-pounds of torque. And I had no idea what that meant, but it sounded really cool. So I started researching this car, and I just had to know everything about it. And for the next two weeks, I finally built up enough courage and knowledge about this car that I wanted to go take it for a test drive. So I get to the dealer and I take the test drive and it's just magical. So that semester, I actually switched from nursing to automotive and with no prior background from the ground up, I completed my schooling and in the dealer environment, I ended up working my way up into becoming the Corvette Specialist, which at the time was my ultimate goal.
0: Wow, it's <laughs> an incredible story, really incredible story. In some ways, there are some similarities I think between nursing and somebody who's an auto technician. Uh, maybe more similarities than the average person would would believe. Have you seen that?
2: Absolutely. In fact, not only is there a substantial job security when you're looking at the medical field versus the automotive industry, and if you wherever you want to live, we have locations to work. Right. But also, I can tell you this much, it's probably easier to work on cars rather than humans. So that's probably the difference there.
0: Right, right. Uh, a car will die kind of figuratively, but a human could die uh, <laughs> quite literally. And that's a much worse outcome, isn't it? What What do you like about being an automotive technician? I mean, what? it, it seems like um, it's something you're excited about. You're excited about cars. But tell me what excites you about your job day to day.
2: What excites me um, is is the aspect of problem solving and figuring things out. Um, It also creates a sense of independence for me, right? You know, as I'm driving down the road, if anything happens, I know how to fix it. And so there's that sense of independence that I just love. And I think that for people that never grew up in the, you know, automotive world or in a shop, never knew anything about cars, this could still be a career for you. You know, if you're someone who um, is just naturally curious how things work or Maybe you do like solving puzzles or just working with your hands in general. This could be a career for you.
0: Let's talk about perceptions of automotive technicians. I mean, there is that perception that, you know, you've got grease under your fingernails and it's a kind of a dirty job and it, you know, takes a lot of physical strength. And is that really the case these days or is it uh, somewhat of a different job?
2: That's definitely a common misconception. And the role of an auto technician has changed dramatically throughout the years. You know, we're talking about a highly technical role that has um, changed so dramatically to meet the evolving technology. So if you've seen a technician in recent days, you know, as they're going up to diagnose a vehicle, they're not holding a wrench. They're holding a laptop. And so it's this use of computerized tooling that has really changed the dynamic. And especially when we talk about the EV vehicles, you know, the tooling changes as well. But whenever we talk about, um, you know, pushing and pulling in the physical aspects of this job, that has changed too. And I wanna make note, you know, let's say that you're someone who weighs 150 pounds um, and you need to torque something to 250 foot pounds. Well, there's a tool for everything, including a torque multiplier, which would make that job easy.
0: Well, uh, a lever is a nice torque mul- multiplier right there, right?
1: Absolutely,
0: <laughs> Very, very simple torque multiplier. Let's talk a bit about uh, schooling. You know, there is, I think, a perception out there that everybody's got to get a college degree, and everybody's got to g- get a degree in a, in like a quote-unquote professional field. Now, certainly being an auto technician is a professional field, but Tell us about the schooling and and what happens these days. Absolutely.
2: So with the GM ASAP program, um, it's actually a two-part program. And so at GM, we understand that shop experience is just as important as classroom training. And so while you're getting the classroom education, you'll also be paired with a dealership uh, through a paid internship. That's right. You're going to get paid while you're going to school. And at the end of two years, you'll receive an associate's degree. And then as you've been working through those de- that dealer, you can continue to get those great benefits that we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can uh, get your foot in the door in a dealership, do work, be paid for it as you're learning, uh, as opposed to spending literally tens of thousands of dollars. On a degree that might never get you a job in in this instance i think without being guaranteed of a job you have a really good opportunity as a trained technician to get jobs all over the country don't you
2: absolutely and we have 51 gma sub schools across the united states and you can find them by going to bringusyourtalent.com Ah, good
0: stuff good stuff so that's out there what do you think uh people uh, let's say uh, kids in high school should think about uh as they Consider what their career is going to be and how they're going to support themselves as, as adults. I mean, that's something that you went through a lot more recently than I did, I think. Uh, tell us about that.
2: You know, and that's one of those key things. The only reason that I went into nursing was because my mom said, hey, there's good good opportunity there. Maybe that's what you should do. Because I was confused just like everyone else is at that time. Um, So I would say to those, consider this as a career path, you know, just like the things I mentioned. If you are great at puzzles, like working with your hands, or you're just generally curious about how things work, this could be a career path for you.
0: Well, another thing that uh, people think about the workplace is that it's totally male-dominated. The auto industry is uh, male-dominated. uh, certainly that has been the case over time. Probably they're looking at the service department as being male dominated too. What's it like being a, a woman in, in that kind of situation?
2: I can tell you that it's not uncommon for me to be the only female in the room, uh, but I trust my training and I know that I'm qualified to do any job at hand. I'm GM world-class certified and I'm also ASC world-class certified, which is about one of 2,000 people total but only one in 10 women in history have, have accomplished that.
0: That's amazing. That's that's terrific for you. Terrific. And you Thank have to you. keep that training up, don't you? I mean, we're seeing new stuff. You talked a little bit about the transition to electric vehicles. There's some question about what that's going to do to service departments. There's some people who suggest that cars will need a lot less service going forward. But that doesn't mean that uh, we'll need less technicians, does it?
2: That's correct. So as the training does continue, um, we do see those the shift in the EV maintenance um, items. And so what we're doing is we're eliminating oil changes, obviously, and oil waste. But we're, we're also going to have things that we're familiar with on these vehicles. You know, we still have um, four tires that contact the road. Those need to be properly maintained and aligned. And then although EV has some specifics to their braking system, we still have base brakes, such as brake rotors and brake pads, things we're familiar with. Mm.
0: Have you done any work on EVs uh, up till now, or is that still in the future for you?
2: I have done some work on some EVs.
0: And? (laughs) Tell us, (laughs) Um, what's it like? I mean, was it an interesting challenge? What was it like?
2: To me, it's really no different. Because when you're a service technician, um, or you're just working on vehicles in general, you know, what you're doing is you are problem solving. That's the main thing. And that's something that men and women both do well, by the way. And so when you're working on these vehicles, it's not a question of, you know, how different is it? It's just applying the same diagnostic process.
0: Right. And the diagnostic process these days is really aided by computers, uh, by um Those uh, I I even get codes in the driveway here and and I'm telling my daughter, oh, this is what's wrong with this. And, you know, this is maybe a problem. This is probably not a big problem. Uh, You're really helped out by technology these days, aren't you?
2: Definitely, yeah, and a, a lot of the tooling has changed, and like we talked about, the environment changes around that. So we're we're, we're almost looking at service technicians more as um, computer technicians nowadays, right?
0: Yeah. What do you think the future is going to hold for service technicians? I mean, you have a long career, I imagine, ahead of you. Uh, you're looking forward to that. What's it going to look like?
2: Absolutely, I think we're going to continue to improve, especially with the launches of our EV vehicles. You know, we've seen the Hummer and the Lyric come out. Um, I think these are super exciting times and it's really not um, a part of history that we've seen before, right? And so as we get these new technicians in, um, we want to bring in that talent, but we also want to retain what we have. And GM recently launched the GM Excellence uh, Technician Program, which is something that I'm super excited about. And that's that's where we recognize our current dealership technicians through quarterly rewards.
0: Yeah, nice. So this can be a very lucrative career, a good career with a lot of prospects everywhere across the country and really around the world. But certainly, uh, you know, in every state of the union, you're going to find uh, vehicle service. So it seems like a great career. Let our listeners know again uh, how to get in touch, how to maybe approach this.
2: Absolutely. If you're someone who's just interested in how things work or or maybe you just like working with your hands, you can go to uh, bringusyourtalent.com, check us out and see if this is a good fit.
0: Yeah, bringusyourtalent.com. And it's something that you would recommend to a lot of people, isn't
2: it? 100% yes. Yeah. This is such a rewarding career, not only for the independence factor that I mentioned earlier, but also, you know, there's a reward factor for fixing something. It's just, it's ingrained in us and, and it makes you feel good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you get something to work, occasionally even I can do that Uh, that wasn't working. Uh, That is a nice feeling, isn't it? Definitely. Well, Brittany Grande, uh, you're a GM field service engineer, as I don't have to tell you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for sharing this information. Really fascinating stuff. And your switch in career career path is an interesting one. Uh, I appreciate you being with us.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Jack.
0: Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague-Jackney-Rad with you. And we're so glad you're with us on America on the Road. We appreciate it. Chris, we've come to listener question time. I think we have a really interesting listener question, and I want you to respond to this. Lonnie in Santa Cruz, California asks this, or says this, and then there's a question. I'm thinking of buying an EV, but I'm unsure what I should be thinking about, especially when it comes to range. What is a good range?
1: Oh, gosh, this is one of the harder questions because the the amount of range you need depends completely on on how you drive and, you know, many other factors. But I'll say that for some people, a PHEV or plug-in hybrid with 30 miles of range is plenty because they have a charger at home. They can plug in at the end of the workday and they don't have to worry about it. For other people who are completely reliant on public infrastructure or charging stations or anything like that and don't have the ability to charge at home, you may need 250, 300 miles of range. But on the other side of that, Jack, and you may disagree with this, I think that charging speed may be just as important as important for some people uh, as range because, you know, the faster the charger, the more convenient it is to stop and top off or, you know, gain a few miles while you're on your way.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Chris, and I think we're going to see more and more uh, coverage of that, and we are, we're talking about it, I think, when we do our, our road test now, is, uh, you know, how quickly uh, you can recover some range. And, uh I'm wondering, and, and I think as we move forward from the early adopters who are happy to, you know, put themselves through some mental gymnastics and everything else to uh, have an EV, if people are going to be comfortable with plugging in every night, I mean, it's it's not like you know putting your watch on the charger or you know putting your phone you know, phone on the charger or something like that. There's, there's something to be uh, done there. I mean, there's a physical effort that has to be made, and you know how all of us love that. I think the more range, the better, but Uh, For every mile of range you add, you add incredible cost. So, uh, you know, your advice is good about balancing out what you need in terms of range. And if you can recharge all the time, maybe range is not uh 200 mile or 300 mile range is, isn't as important. Yeah, yeah, It really is kind of personal choice, isn't it?
1: It is. And just to note, the industry is changing. You know, people are working on wireless charging for EVs and, you know, solid state batteries that will change, that will revolutionize the industry. So this conversation may look different in a year or two than it does today.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of things are going to happen uh, on that score. And we're going to, you know, maybe see vehicles with Uh, electric vehicles with so much range that range is not an issue right on a full charge you know if they have five or six hundred miles of range you know you're never going to approach the uh, end end of your range uh, if you do some some reasonable charging and maybe kind of fill it up the way you would fill up a gas car well chris always great to do the show with you uh thanks so much
1: You as well. Thanks, everybody, as well for listening. If you like what you heard, I'll direct you to the SportsMapRadio.com website. There you can find the show on the Saturday morning schedule. Uh, You can find our podcast on all major platforms as well as a formatted radio version of the show.
0: And our thanks to the SportsMap Radio network stations for carrying America on the Road. We appreciate that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com autoinsurance That's drivingtoday.com auto hyphen insurance. You need that hyphen. And we appreciate you listening to America on the Road. So thanks for being with us. So for Chris Teague, this is Jack Neerad saying, join us again next week on another edition of America on the Road.